we've been studying the book of Romans now for, for well over a year. We come to, to look once again at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and let's, let's read the text before us this morning. Beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Last Last week, we, we focused primarily on, on the, the first portion of that verse. Paul beginning and, and speaking to the, the church there saying, I beseech you, I plead with you, brethren, that, that in view of the mercies of God, in view of all that we have looked at in the first part of, of the book of Romans from from a God who shows us the depth of our sin. I mean, holding nothing back, saying, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who does good. There's none that seek after me. Every mouth will be stopped. The whole world is guilty. And then the presentation of the gospel. God's righteousness. God's righteousness is placed upon our account, not because of anything good that we've ever done, nothing that we could ever boast about, but solely as a result of grace, that the gospel has been given to us, and, and it is by faith alone, and he spends so much time just saying, it's by faith alone that you're saved. It's not works, it's not based on how much you accomplish in your life, but it is solely by faith, and it's a gift that comes from God. It's all the result of God and his grace and his sovereign grace. It's a result of what he has done. We looked at, at election and seeing that God has done these things, even from the foundations of the world, him choosing and making a people for himself so that they would never be able to boast, but that all the glory would go to him. And the hope that we have in believing the gospel and coming to salvation as a result of that grace that we have through Christ and the cross and, and this love that he's given to us. And he tells us so clearly that it's not something that can ever be taken away, that there's no one that can ever separate us from the love of God, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that we are secure in him because he doesn't ever change and he works all things together for good for us and he is the one who began a good work in us and will be faithful to complete it. And we just see this all throughout the book of Romans and we see it with such clarity as far as how it is that we are saved, who we were and what God has in store for us. And Paul just comes to a place of, okay, I plead with you, I beseech you in light of the mercies of God that you would now take yourself and present it to God as a living sacrifice. The, this, this incredible application that's given to us as a result of all of this incredible theology that we have seen to now bring us to a place of, as a result, give yourself entirely to him. Give yourself entirely to him. Take your body, and it's not just, okay, God's done a lot for me, so I'm going to give him some money, or God's done a lot for me, so I'll, I'll give him thanks every once in a while. Paul just says, in light of it, give yourself entirely to him. Take your body, just lay it before him as a living sacrifice, a living sacrifice, one that lives to exalt him. And he says it's, it's the only reasonable thing that we can do. 
It's the only thing that makes sense. You, you have been saved from eternity in hell. There's no condemnation for you. You're no longer under the wrath of God. It's all a result of God's grace. Now, live for him. Lay your lives down as a living sacrifice for him. For the last eight years since our church started, I, I've wanted to sing this hymn. And if, if you grew up with hymns at all, um, for some of you, 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 you love them, don't you? Amen. You, hymns were just such incredible rich doctrine that's in them and, and just this praise that goes forward. And I've been told for these eight years that this song is difficult to, to sing without a piano. And so we have a piano now and had it for a couple years. But now, finally, this morning, first set, or the second set, first song, I saw this on my seat when I got here. We're singing a song, And Can It Be That I Should Gain? Love that hymn. The richness of it where he talks about long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's light. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. This change that's taken place and now it's following him. My life is to be a living sacrifice to him. And then it just says, Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Oh, it doesn't get any better than that. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? It's the only reasonable thing that we can do now is to take our lives and lay them before him as a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto him. We see here in, in our text that it goes from there to say, and do, and do not, verse 2, be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Do not be conformed to this world. Lay your lives as a living sacrifice to him. It's the only reasonable thing to do. And do not be conformed to this world. The New Testament scholar Kenneth Weiss says it like this. Quote, paraphrases it like this. Stop assuming an outward expression which is patterned after this world. An expression which does not come from nor is representative of what you are in your inner being as a regenerated child of God. Don't, don't be conformed any longer to this world. Don't act like the world does. 2003, pollster George Barna, he attempted to determine how, how many Americans held a biblical worldview. We live in a country where 80-some percent of our country would say that they're believers. So in, in light of that, in light of, in America, 80-some percent of the country saying, yeah, I'm a Christian. How many of them have a biblical world and life view? Your world and life view is, is that, that view in which it affects how you think. 
James Sire refers to it as, in, in, as far as the presuppositions that you hold. Those things that you hold that determine why you do the things that you do. How you think politically. How you think about church. How you think about all kinds of ethical issues. The way you view family. The way you view friends. The way you view marriage. The way that you view, view educating children. The way you view all of these things. What, what is your world on life view? What takes place after all of these things. And so he, he asked some questions to be able to see how many people, out of the 80-some percent people that believe they're Christians, as well as, as well as our nation as a whole, how many have a biblical worldview? And the questions that he asked them were, questions, were these questions. Do, do absolute moral truths exist? Um, is there such a thing as an absolute truth? Is absolute truth defined by the Bible? Did Jesus Christ live a sinless life? Is God the all-powerful, all-knowing creator of the universe? And does he still rule it today? Is salvation a gift from God that cannot be earned? Is Satan real? Does a Christian have a responsibility to share his or her faith in Christ with other people? Is the Bible accurate in all of its teachings? So if, if you respond to those questions and said, yeah, the, there are such things as moral absolutes, moral truths. There, it is found in Scripture. Jesus did live a sinless life. He is all-powerful and, and, and all-knowing creator of the universe. He still rules it today. Salvation can only come from him. It can't be earned. Satan is real. It is the Christian's responsibility to share his or her faith with other people. And the Bible is accurate in all of its teachings. If you say yes to those particular things, in our country, 4% have a biblical world and life view. 4%. Shocking. 80-some percent would say that they're Christians. 4% have a biblical world and life view. And of those that would claim to be born-again Christians, those that would say, I'm born again, and, and, and not only would they say they're born again, but they would say that Christ radically changed their life. They were converted. They placed their faith in him. Um, they believe that they follow him. Of those that would, would claim that, 9% of them have a biblical world in life view. Nine. And of everybody in our country who would say, yes, absolutely, I'm a born-again Christian, 9% based on those questions that I just read have a biblical world and life view. And we look at this and we say something's wrong, something's incredibly broken. If, if those that would claim to be Christians, born-again Christians, of all of them, only 9% of our country, only 4% think and have a biblical world and life view, then we see that within the church today, we are definitely being conformed to this world. There's, there's a huge problem with the way in which Christians, or so-called Christians, say that they, they think because it, it, is not, it is not based on Scripture. We see here within within the text, that it goes from there to say, but be transformed. Not only are, are we to, 
to have a, a life in which we are, are not conformed to this world, but we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. The Greek verb, that verb there it gives you the idea of, of a change not only in, in outward appearance, but in its entirety. The, the word's used four times in Scripture in the New Testament. But when it's used, it's most frequently, the other three times, is used to either us being transformed into the image of Christ or what took place with Christ on the mount where he was transfigured in the transfiguration. This radical change that took place in him. Don't be conformed anymore to this world, but be transformed. That there would be this radical change that would take place. By the renewing of your mind, and that phrase, by the renewing of your mind, shows us that God's not just concerned with our actions, but by how we think, the way our minds work. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, the way in which you think about things. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. There needs to be a change bringing us from being transformed to, or conformed to this world to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. In Colossians 2.6, it says, As you therefore receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. You receive Christ as a result, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. We look and in, in, we are to think biblically. We are to have Scripture be that which teaches us what is it that is right, what is it that is wrong, what is it that pleases God, what is it that is sin. We're to have Scripture be that which we read and God radically transforms us is by the Holy Spirit just changing us, molding us, conforming us into his image. And we look at 80-some percent of, of the, the church today in which taken from that 80%, just those that would say, I'm born again, and less than 9% have a biblical world and life view. And I think part of the problem there is part of the result of it is that we, we have a church across America that is biblically illiterate. They don't go through scripture. They don't go through verse by verse and look at scripture and, and have it be where it's, what does it say? What does it say? What does it teach us? What is it to present our bodies as a living sacrifice? What, what are the mercies of God? What is it that he has done for us? We, we have a, a culture that has just been radically changed to where we so badly desire to be entertained we so badly want our felt needs met. We so badly want to be able to hear like, well, that's a, that was a funny message or, or that was really practical as far as, you know, how I should be in business or so on and so forth without knowing Scripture in its entirety. 
I'll tell you, that it is a reason why we as a church must be committed to go verse by verse through Scripture. It's why it's critical that, that we do what's called expository preaching, going through verse by verse. What does the text say? How does it apply to my life? Because being entertained and feeling just trying to feel good, it doesn't help us fight sin. It doesn't help us to, to treasure Christ above all the stuff of this world. It doesn't help us come to a place of what should we be like as a church? What is it to love one another? What is it to use the gifts that God has given us? What is it that he's called us to? To, to dig into scripture and to be able to see story after story verse after verse, that just magnifies Christ and who he is and his sovereignty, to be able to show us that God is a God who is in control, who knows all things, who works all things together for good, who could take the most brutal thing that you could go through, and he could take that thing, and he could work it together for good, and you can trust in his promises in those areas. A God who could tell, tells us things like that there's no temptation that can overtake you. He always makes a way of escape to be able to show us what it is to be a man, to be able to show us what it is to be a woman. The differences between men and women and how this glorifies God. We are to look at these things and see them in light of, of Scripture. Not being conformed to this world. You think of pornography, the seventh largest industry in our nation. William Struthers from Wheaton College says, men seem to be wired in such a way that pornography hijacks the proper functioning of their brains and has a long-lasting effect on their thoughts and lives. You think of not being conformed to this world. The world looks upon these things and just takes it in. Obviously it does. It's the seventh largest industry in our nation. And yet for the Christian, we look and we say, God, help me not to ever be conformed to this world. God, help me not to look upon these things. You think of, of drug abuse. Drug abuse is horrible. And yet there could come a place where you're detoxed and it's out of your system. Accountability could be there to where you don't continue to fall to the same sin over and over again. But with pornography, it doesn't work that way. It, just, it has a long-lasting effect upon your life because it's still there in your head. Even after years and years, decades and decades, the lasting effect on it is, is, is terrible for us. Something that we need to be so aware of as far as not being conformed to this world because we live in an age in which there is now the internet to where you don't even have to go to, a, to the store to buy a magazine. You, you, can, you can look upon it when... Nobody else would ever possibly know or see. 
in. And yet God says, no, be, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed to this world. We read verses like Matthew 5, 27, where it says, you've heard it, that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That it's an issue of the heart to where we read something like this and we say, God, help me not to ever do that. Because scripture tells me that it's wrong. Don't be conformed to this world. Abortions. You can take any issue that we face today and, and what is it to not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Last week, week, last Wednesday, Jerry Brown signed into law AB 154 that makes it so abortions are no, no longer have to be performed by doctors in our state. Last week, it, I don't even think it made much of the news at all. It, it, now, nurse practitioners... Certified nurse midwives, physician assistants, they can all do abortions to make them far more accessible and easy. Reason was we would never want someone that wants to have abortion have to drive too far or to wait in a long line. And you look at this and sin. And yet, just over a little over half of those who claim to be born-again Christians think that abortion should be illegal in most or all cases. There's something broken. There's something broken in which the world and life view that we have being in this world where Christians are being conformed to the world, to their way of thinking. Just a little over half of those who claim to be born-again Christians say that abortion should be illegal in most or all cases. You see in Scripture verses like you shall not murder. We're told in Scripture that over and over again that we are not to shed innocent blood. We look in Scripture and we see referring to John the Baptist for he was great in the sight of the Lord and he shall neither drink wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Even from his mother's womb. When he's in his mother's womb, he'd be filled with the Holy Spirit. Jeremiah 1.5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you, a prophet to the nations. Psalm 139, verse 13, For I Formed for, for you form my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I was, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they are, were all written. The days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How great are the sum of them! While I was still in that place of being just that substance, being yet unformed. Clarity, you, you form me in my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. The clarity as you look at this in Scripture to say, it is a baby. It's a baby. It is a person. They have personhood. 
to be able to look upon this and have God's word affect the way that we think to where if you came into this place saying, well, I don't know, I mean, I think, I mean, everybody should have a right to choose and it's her body and this is the way I think, that we would leave this place saying, no, absolutely not. God says you shall not murder. God, God tells us that we shall not shed innocent blood. God tells us that he, he knew us, he formed us. Even John the Baptist was filled with the spirit while he was in his mother's womb. We look at this and scripture just pierces our heart to change the way we think about all of that to where we look at it and we say we need to have a biblical world and life view to where we are not a part of that nearly half of those born-again Christians that would say, oh, I think it's okay. God help us to be those that look and say, no, that's not biblical. It's not biblical. This is what Scripture says. One of the things that we face most today it's the issue of homosexuality. Oh, how the church has wavered on this. Church, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed to this world as far as the way that the world thinks. When you have some of the largest denominations in our country that are ordaining homosexuals, you have huge groups of Christians that are saying, we don't know we don't know whether it's wrong yet. We don't want to take a position. Let's wait a while and we'll see later on if it's wrong. You have it where the young people in our country, those that are in that age of the 20s and the 30s, who are in a radically different place than those that are 40 and above as far as the way that they view homosexuality. You see, just August 19th of this year, the New Jersey governor, Chris Christie, Republican, he, he made a statement that he released as he signed a bill banning therapy that tries to change a, a minor's sexual orientation. So if parents want to take their child and say, I want you to go get therapy. I want you to go get counseling. I want you to be educated in this. You, you, you want to change your gender. I want you to go get help. Chris Christie, Republican, some say a strong candidate for future Republican president. He says, if someone is born that way, it's very difficult to say to them that it's a sin. Now, I would look at this and say, okay, he just says that. It's being jammed at our throat. Like, how can you do this? They are born that way. How can you say homosexuality is wrong? God made them like that. We, we are being told that almost like we're a racist. It's the same as being black. It's the same as being Hispanic. It's the same as being Asian. It's the same as being any other race. It's the same as, as an issue of, of being a man or, or a woman. Here it is that how can you say that it's sin? If someone's born that way, how can you say that it's sin? Turn with me to Romans chapter 1 and verse 22. Professing 
Romans 1.22. Professing to be wise, they became fools. They changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. So they changed the glory of the incorruptible God to to be made like corruptible man. Therefore God gave also he also gave them up to uncleanness. Remember these words, uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forevermore. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Notice these words. Exchange the natural use for what's against nature. Likewise, also men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do the things which are not fitting. I mean, here, you, you, it just goes through. It, it refers to the act of homosexuality and, and, and showing it as far as vile passions. Against nature, burning a lust for one another, committing what is shameful, receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. They didn't want to retain God in their knowledge. God gave them over to a debased mind to do the things which are not fitting. Brothers and sisters, we don't need to do more research as to whether or not it's right or wrong. It's right there in Scripture. We don't need to be those that are a part of that group of people that say, I don't know what to think yet. I don't know. I mean, I mean, God made them that way, and who are we to say? And here is how we are to say it. This is where we look at it. When Governor Christie says, if someone's born that way, it's difficult to say to them that it's a sin. Big question is if someone is born that way, they are not. Scripture makes that clear. Scripture makes it clear that it is sin. And if you ration in your mind and say, well, I know this one guy and he was so feminine as a little kid. And that's Romans chapter 1. We don't let our experience determine how we think. We don't let culture determine how we are to be. Our world and life view is not based on culture. Our world and life view is based on Scripture. God's truth, his absolute truth that comes off the pages of Scripture that affects the way that we think about everything. This last week, an article came out about a transgender man appearing to be a female who was expelled from Cal Baptist as a student. She was accepted into Cal Baptist University's nursing program and planned to start classes this month. But in July, she received a letter temporarily expelling her for committing or attempting to engage in fraud or concealing identity and presenting false or misleading information during the university's judicial process, she responds, or he responds, I'm going to say he because it's he. The article would like me to think that it's a she. It's a he. Saying, this totally ruined my career path. I've been trying to finish as soon as possible. I didn't know Baptists were that extreme. (laughs) These radicals that are out there that think that 
A girl is a girl and a guy is a guy. And we look at this and it, it's something that we look, we see in Scripture. Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image and in his own image he created them. Male and female, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So for someone to say, but I identify myself as a woman. What are we to think about this? God made them male and female. Heather Clements taught theology at this Zeus-specific university for, for 15 years. But this past year, once again, the article says he, but let's just say she, has begun referring to herself as Adam Ackley. Zeus specific within the last month, laid off this person who was at the university for 15 years and who was once the chair of the theology and philosophy department after it became transgender. I mean, you're talking about major university, Christian university in our area. And she said, I did not get a sense directly from the individuals with whom I was speaking that they had a theological problem with the transgender identity. I did get the message that it has to do with their concern that other people, such as donors, parents, and churches connected to the university will have problems not understanding transgender identity. Well, we do have a problem with that. We do have a problem if a major Christian university has a transgender person as one of their main theology professors or anybody on faculty. God help us have a problem with that because God made them male and female. God help us to have a problem with it because he says it's what's unnatural. It goes against nature. We have scripture affect us. Jonathan Parnell says, you can think yourself female and you can fool society to see female. You can go under the knife and reorder the look of your anatomy, but you cannot make XY become XX. You just can't. God's imprint will haunt our every effort to rebel against his handiwork. And the fact is, when the dust settles, you've only suppressed your identity with surgical procedures and hormone injections. You can't make XY become XX. Just can't. And so for us as Christians to think that way, when I've coached high school soccer 23 years, law placed in effect in our state today that I cannot, if someone, I work with the boys and girls soccer program. If somebody on the boys team says, well, I think I'm a girl. I can't say, no, you can't make the girls team. By law, it's against the law for me to say, no, you, you can't play on the girls team. You're a boy. It's against the law for me to say to the boy, you can't go into the girls' restroom. I'm sorry, you're a boy. You need to get out of the locker room. You need to get out of the restroom. It is against the law in the state of California for anybody from K through 12 to do that to any student. And we need to look and say, there is something just radically broken in our society when you can't even say, there's XX and XY. You can't even say, you're a boy or you're a girl. And God help us to not think that way. God help us to, to be against it, to be able to be in a place of saying, no, there is right and there is wrong. And this is what God says in his word. And we don't care what the kindergarten kid says, and we don't care what it is as far as the way that he thinks that he is. God says something, and he makes it clear in Scripture. And we need to be those that are not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds that we think biblically 
on these issues. Fornication. A generation ago, cohabitation was often called living in sin. But as I read in this article, but that taboo has faded. Unmarried couples of all ages are moving in together. 7.8 million in our country, according to the 2012 census. 7.8 million. And 59% of those who profess to be born-again Christians in their 20s and 30s believe that cohabitation is acceptable before marriage. Nearly 60% of those who would proclaim to be born-again Christians in their 20s and 30s say, it's okay. That's where we as a church go and, and the way that we think individually say, no, that's, that is being conformed to this world. That's what the world does. Being a kid, I remember it was... Three's company was so controversial. So controversial. Nowadays, it's 59% of Christians, born-again Christians, would say, it's okay. I mean, how are you going to know them if you don't live with them first? And And that's just cohabitation. It's not talking about fornication. There's something broken when our young people look and say, that's okay, everybody is doing that. When we look at scripture and says, thus saith the Lord, this is sin. It's wrong. Needs to be repented of. God, help us not to be like that. God, help us not to do that, not to think like that. The renewing of our mind that that comes and says, I don't want to do that because that is a sin against almighty God. When you have people like A.C. Green, who played on the Lakers, who just said that he wanted to be celibate until he got married, and he just got ridiculed by everybody. I read that the players would send prostitutes up to his room as a joke when they would go away to games. Every temptation thrown at that man, and yet in his mind it's no. I'm not going to do this and sin against God. And he, he was presented as some kind of freak. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. We're to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're to love our neighbors as ourselves. We're to have no other gods before him. We're to honor our parents a husband's to make it his aim to love his wife as Christ loved the church. Not looking at it and saying, well, she knows that I love her. And that you have been called to love your wife and make it your aim as Christ loves the church. We're to be faithful to one another. When Christians have the same divorce rate as unbelievers for the most part, statistically, so to speak. I don't know that I believe that to be true. There's something broken in society. There's something broken in the church. We're to not be like the world. We're not to say, well, my dad did this, and he acted like this, and he screamed like that, and he yelled like that, and he treated my wife like they're his, my mom like that, so I'm just doing the same things. We are not to have it be where we act like the world acts. We act like 
our culture, we're to say, what is it that God says that I'm to be? God, help me to repent of these things and to change and to be holy and to present my body as a living sacrifice to you. It's the only reasonable thing for me to do, to be transformed by the renewing of our mind that we might know what his will is for us. His will is revealed to us in the pages of Scripture. How are we to live? What are we to be like? Should we commit adultery? Should we steal? Should we murder? Should we covet? Absolutely not. Why? Because God's word says that it is wrong. God's word says that it is sin. So, God help us at Reverence Bible Church to think biblically on these things. To have our minds transformed by being renewed as the scripture is given to us and we see it and we know it and we say, God, help me not to be like the world but to be transformed into the image of Christ and to be holy and acceptable and pleasing unto him. It is the only reasonable thing for us, brothers and sisters. In light of the mercies of God and what he has saved you from, may it have incredible application to our world-aligned view, to our actions, to the things that come out of our mouths, to our marriages, to us as kids, towards our parents, in our workplace, in our schools, as a light to this world. May we be radically different because we think differently. May we not be indistinguishable from the world. The Holy Spirit resides in you. He is working in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You are not alone. You were given a helper. And it is the Holy Spirit who gives us his word and speaks to our hearts and is molding and transforming us into his world. And I venture to say on this morning, the Holy Spirit is working in some of your hearts, hopefully everybody's heart this morning, saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. Don't be like the world, but be conformed to the image of Christ. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word this morning. Um, you are a God who changes hearts. You're a God who changes the way that we think. You're a God who can have your word pierce our hearts and is sharper than any two-edged sword. And you change the way that we think about pornography or marriage or raising kids. You change the way that we think about lying. You change the way that we think about gossip. You change the way we think about every area of our lives because you tell us this is the way, walk ye in it. This is what pleases me. And God, help us to please you. God, help us to love you with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our mind and with all of our strength. Help us to love our neighbor as ourselves and to treasure you above everything in this world. May you change us radically and may we shine here in this community and even to the uttermost parts of the world as a result of your Holy Spirit working in us and changing us and conforming us into your image. We pray for that transformation to our minds that only you can do, Lord. And so we plead that as we look to your word, affect it, make us think biblically, make us think biblically. And now we worship you. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me. May that come forth powerfully from the saints here this morning. Pray this in Jesus' name.